1: Good
3: morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on talk radio as the summer ebbs away and we are now only 84 days from Brexit as the crow flies and we are celebrating today by having Nick Dubois in the studio taking your calls. Nick is a former Tory MP and was the Chief of Staff for Dominic Raab when he was Brexit Secretary in Theresa May's government. He knows how the European negotiators work and he'll give us an insight into what they're likely to do next now that Michael Gove is also blaming the EU for being intractable. Uh, Michael Gove says he's feeling very sad. Well there may be really reasons for that, Michael, uh, which we won't be getting into on this particular show. It certainly looks as though the cracks are beginning to show already, though, uh, on the Remainer side. Ireland's Shock, uh, Leo Varadkar has now moved his position from no new negotiations, which is what he said only a few weeks ago, to the possibility of them if the UK, in his words, drops its red lines on Brexit. So already, Varadkar, who is, of course, the uh, secret agent of the European Union, the man who does everything that they tell him to do, he's now saying to the UK, well, if you just move a little bit, maybe we'll reopen the Negotiations, which we said we would never reopen. 0344 499 1000. Get your calls in now because Nick Devois is not going to be here for too long and he needs to have a very, very good selection of calls to answer. So if you've got a question about Brexit, about the negotiations, you make your call now. Uh, book your space. 0344 499 1000. Also, coming up first, we're examining the words of Neil Basu, who seems to think that it is somehow the fault of British culture that we are losing the fight against violent Islamic extremism, particularly that kind which is homegrown. The country's most senior counterpart a terrorism police officer, says we need to stop trying to make Muslims assimilate in our society. I don't think I've ever heard so much rubbish in my entire life. It doesn't look as though we're forcing anyone to assimilate as far as I can see. 0344 Later on in the show we'll be asking whether health and safety maniacs have cancelled a music festival in Cornwall just a day before it was due to start. Apparently it's going to be a bit windy so they've decided that the whole Florence and the Machine gig, uh, all sorts of other bands which are travelling down there, all sorts of people that were setting up to make quite a bit of money over the course of the next few days uh, can just hop off and carry off and go home again. Uh, we'll be asking why do do-gooders want us to pay a calorie tax as well? It's all coming up It's all great. It's all on this show today between 10 and 1 o'clock. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio at I-R-O-M-G. Coming up at 11 o'clock, Nick Dubois is going to be joining us. He is, of course, the former Chief of Staff to Dominic Raab when he was the Brexit Secretary in Theresa May's government. He's also a former Tory MP as well. He's coming in uh, to sit here and tell us what he makes of the latest developments in the Brexit scenario. Uh, And also, because he was involved, to some extent, in negotiations with Dominic Raab, he's going to be telling us precisely what he thinks the European Union and their negotiators are going to do next. So if you've got a question for him, uh, you want to get on the phone with him, you know what to do, 0344 You can book a call. Uh, he's going to be here after 11 o'clock. Right now, though, we're going to talk to Tim Roycroft, uh, who's from the Food and Drinks Federation, because there's a story going around at the moment uh, that the Food and Drinks um, uh, Federation are looking for some guidance from the government on what is going to happen to the food situation after Brexit, because, of course, we've seen all these scare stories. We've seen all these people being told, oh, of course, you know, the food's going to run out, the prices of food are going to go up, Welsh lamb's going to be impossible to buy, because they're going to have to kill and slaughter all the sheep because they won't be able to sell them to the European Union because there'll be a tariff of 40%. So still, even though many of us, and I include myself in this, are quite optimistic about leaving the EU on the 31st of October, there are still some businesses and presumably many people in the food business who would like to know precisely what is going to happen. And so there's now a sort of a competition waiver being sought, a no-deal competition waiver being sought by the food industry. Let's find out from Tim what it's all about. Tim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. What is it that uh, the Food and Drink Federation uh, is asking for? Because I'm not quite sure most of our listeners will know what a no-deal competition waiver is.
0: (laughs) No, indeed. Well, um, we in the food industry have been saying for some time that in the event of no deal, because we rely heavily on imported food, particularly at that time of year... Uh, about 60% of our food comes uh, from overseas and, and most of that from the EU. Uh, we think that the disruption at the ports means that there will be some shortages. Uh, nobody's going to starve, uh, but, but there will be some shortages of particularly fresh foods uh, for weeks and months after a, a no-deal exit. Right. And we think it's very likely that the government will turn to us at that point and say, why don't you guys in the food industry, retailers, manufacturers, uh, contract caterers, get together to make sure that any of these rough edges get smoothed out Mm. and we make sure the food gets to where it needs to get to. And what we're saying is at the moment we couldn't do that because that would be under competition law illegal. So we're asking them to to kind of remove that blockage so that
3: we would be able to help. Yeah, and so, I mean, what's going on at the moment, for example, because we're only about, what, 84 days away from Brexit. Um, what is what is the conversation at the moment going on between the, uh, the, the different food manufacturers, importers, exporters, whatever? Because, I mean, we see an awful lot of scare stories, many of which I think are, uh, in some cases, wishful thinking from some Remainers who'd like to see things going horribly wrong. Um, and I don't really see that the problems are as bad as they're going to paint them to be.
0: Well, I hope I hope I'm not uh, talking about scare stories. I'm I'm trying to tell you what our members who no, are no no I'm, like I'm not I'm not
3: accusing you of that Tim. That will happen. No, I'm no, not accusing no, you of that Tim. I, well, I'm just trying to get from you the truth of what is actually going yeah. on.
0: Well, I, as I say, we rely a lot on imported food. Uh, we do produce 40 to 50 percent of our own food. So, as I say, nobody's going to starve. Nobody's predicting Armageddon. But uh, I, we think there will be. Selected shortages, particularly of fresh food, but also random shortages of other kinds of foods. Now, that doesn't matter if it's if it's in my local area where there are five supermarkets, but if it's in a remote area where there's only one and their shipment doesn't get through, that could have quite a big impact. Sure. If the, if the shipment doesn't get to the old people's home or the hospital or the school, that could have a bad impact. Mm. So, so we're saying in that in that scenario, if the government wants us to help. Uh, and they may not want to. They may want to do it themselves. They may want to take powers to do it themselves. But if they want us to help, they're going to have to enable that to happen.
3: Right. I mean, I'm seeing things like, for example, Domino's Pizza, saying that they've spent £7 million stockpiling ingredients, including tomato sauce, uh, in case a no-deal breaks and disrupts the supply. Well, that sounds sensible to me, doesn't it? Well,
0: it does. But, of course, there's a limit to how much you can stockpile fresh food. Um, frozen warehousing is, is expensive and in short supply. Uh, We said before that this time of year, end of October, is not great because it's it's kind of peak peak, pre-Christmas stockpiling for a lot of businesses, so additional warehouse space is hard to get. Um, And there's just a limit to how far you can stockpile fresh food. Probably a month is about the most.
3: Yeah, right. But I'm looking again at where our food comes from. 53%, I'm told, comes from the UK itself. About 28% comes from the EU. And very small amounts come from the rest of the world, really. So so you're talking about, say, 28% of our food that comes from the European Union that might have a problem?
0: Um... Well, I, those figures, of course, change a bit. Uh, at the end of the growing season, as we head into autumn, we become more reliant on imported food. And all of the food that we import, so let's say 60-40 in favour of imports by 1st of November, of that 60%, about three quarters is from the EU. So the EU is massively our, mar- our largest trading partner for food. And that's, that's not because of politics, that's just because of geography, yeah. because they're our nearest neighbours.
3: Right. So, I mean, you know, given what happens over the course of summers and things like that, whenever there's a, there's a, there's a customs strike in France or there's a, you know, lorry strike of some kind or some kind of blockade in France, I mean, how does the food industry deal with that sort of situation?
0: Well, uh, actually, when we've seen uh, even short-term disruption, I think people notice very quickly because we've, you know, we've got used to having fresh food on our shelves 365 days a year, we, we expect to be able to buy tomatoes in January and February, and, and that's just the way the market has developed, uh, and I think people will notice quite quickly if that stops being the case.
3: Yeah, OK. But, I mean, you can do without tomatoes, can't you? I mean, it's not yeah. the end of the world. I mean, you can just yeah. have a cheese sandwich without the tomatoes. Yeah, the,
0: the, the thing that's unpredictable here is that um, if, if your lorry gets stuck... Uh, behind a lorry that haven't got the right paperwork, even if you've got the right paperwork. Your lorry may be carrying fresh food, but it might be carrying wheat flour or it might be carrying specialist ingredients or who knows what. And that's why it's a bit, a bit hard to predict exactly what there will be shortages of.
3: So who are you hoping to hear from in the government? Who's the kind of responsible adult, if you like, uh, that you try to get information out of?
0: Well, I think now Michael Gove has been given this sort of cross-governmental responsibility for coordinating no-deal planning, And as a former Environment and Food Secretary, he understands our industry very well. So I'm hoping that um, he will be sympathetic to to what we're asking for here. And uh, we're hoping to see him very soon
3: okay great stuff Tim thank you very much indeed Tim Rickoff there uh, Food and Drinks Federation saying that they want a bit more clarity which is fair enough um, however I'm not really sure I'm going along with all of these figures that are coming out from the food uh, business because you know on the one hand they're saying oh yeah well it's all very well to say that we eat 53% of the food uh, which comes actually from this country but that changes later uh, and it goes to 60% the other way you know I'm not sure we've got so much food in this country we're always complaining that we've got too much stuff and too much choice if we don't have as much choice for a couple of weeks is that going a big problem? It's not going to be a big problem for me. 0344 499 is the number. Tesco's can't run their company as it is, never mind with Brexit involved. I mean, they're laying off thousands of people. They're shutting loads of stores. They've shut down loads of delis. They've shut down loads of fishmongers. They've shut down all sorts of stuff over the course of the last four or five years, have Tesco's? But they can't seem to get it right. So, maybe they've got it wrong about everything. Oh three four Don't forget, uh, we've got Nick Dubois coming up at 11 o'clock. He's going to be answering your questions about Brexit. We'll put it to him about the food shortage scenario. But I refuse to believe that we're going to have empty shelves and we're all going to be standing about in queues
2: waiting for somebody to give you a free chicken. It's not Russia. That's not going to happen. This is Talk Radio. This is the
3: Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Nick Dubois this morning, uh, sitting in here in the studio, waiting for you uh, to ask him a couple of questions about Brexit. Dominic Cummings uh, is, of course, the former Vote Leave mastermind. He's being now sort of thrust into the uh, limelight or attempted to be thrust into the limelight by some people. He was questioned by Sky News this morning uh, as to whether, in fact, uh, he was too arrogant about the Constitution. He was running around sort of roughshod over every single other political situation in the country. I think he's too smart uh, to be caught out by uh, the likes of Sky News at the moment, Dominic Cummings, but he's running a very interesting campaign and he's no doubt he's running it, right?
2: Well, look, uh, one, one person's arrogance is another person's determination. Yes. Yeah. The, the bottom line is, I love the people are complaining about arrogance because for two and a half years... We've not had clarity, have we? Let's be honest. There's not been clarity in the Brexit negotiations Mm. and we've been all over the place. We are now in a place where the goal and the target is defined. Dominic Cummings will keep everyone on track for the 31st of October. That's his job. Yes. Uh, And that that is what the Prime Minister wants. So what is unusual and this is a bit techy, and, and I won't dwell on it long, mm. is that a special advisor, spads as they're known, even one as important as Dominic Cummings, is kind of in the limelight a yes. lot. That doesn't happen normally. In no. fact, normally, when a special advisor becomes the story, they tend to get moved on or shuffled on. That's not going to Well, what I've noticed has happened, and we'll go
3: to the calls in a second, Malcolm and Paul want to talk to us. One of the things, I'll just leave you with this thought, is that nobody's attacking Boris Johnson anymore for being, you know, the buffoon, or being the guy that's not responsible, the guy that doesn't do details. There's no real uh, actual kind of... No, um, he's,
2: he's been sh- called a dictator sh- and all sorts well, of yeah. things now. No, isn't but it? that's the interesting
3: <laughs> thing. They've moved very much away from kind of going, he's not fit for the job. They tried that. They've now moved on. Let's go to Malcolm in Oxford. Hi, Malcolm. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, morning Nick. Uh, how are you, Malcolm? What do you want I'm, to say?
4: I'm very well, thank you. Um, just, I uh, just want a clarification because um, we had a deal on the table. We had this deal that Mrs May brought back. Yes, it was a bad deal but it was a deal. The opposition to to leaving the, UK, leaving the EU voted that down three times. So the EU has actually stated that is the only deal on the table. Yet these people are still saying we are not accepting that deal, which is correct. So where do they go, these Ramoners, the dominant greaves of this world, the Chukaramunas, why don't they just come out and say their aim is to revoke Article fifty? It will cause an absolute well uh, there's no real word What, for. you mean,
3: actually want them to, game to, game to, you actually want, the, want them to tell the truth, Malcolm? I mean, I don't know if that's ever likely to happen, but Dominic Grieve's a case in point. I mean, we're hearing already, Nick, that uh, Dr Philip Lee, for example, is likely to join the Lib Dems over the course of the summer. I, I was talking to, uh, to to you, I think, earlier in the week about this, and you were saying, well, to be honest, you're not much of a loss to the Tory party, neither probably is Dominic Grieve, in the sense that um, they haven't really voted with the government properly now, certainly not on Brexit, for a long time.
2: Well, I, I think Malcolm's point is he's saying, hang on, why aren't people just clear? They don't want this. They're going to use every parliamentary tactic to try and stop uh, the Brexit happening. And, and that sort of candour, that honesty, if you like, uh, I understand why Malcolm's asking for that. Bottom line is, though, you've already got Dominic Grieve and I think Philip, I hope I'm not doing any injustice here, basically saying... They're really going... They, they would vote against the government in a vote of confidence mm. or they are close to deciding yes. that they would do well, that. Well, Dominic Grievous said it would. To bring it. the government down yeah. if it meant they could stop Brexit. Yeah. Now, that's a huge thing for an MP of any party to say or mm. do. I think it's a legitimate question to say, hang on, if you're going to do that why do you still have the whip in the yeah. Conservative Party? It could be that the chiefs in the Conservative Party have said, OK, we don't. Th- it's all talk and it won't happen, and there's a lot of bluster, mm. as you and Malcolm and I know is in politics, and they may be giving him the benefit of the doubt now. That would be a huge issue, though, if it happened, but at least then that's as close as you're going to come to the honestly, saying, I will stop this at yeah. any
3: cost. No, very true. We'll come to Paul in Newcastle in a moment. How about this from Ken, uh, who's tweeted in. Mike, please ask Nick if the EU should be reminded of Article Eight of their own Lisbon treaty?
2: Well, look, um, the the EU are in a mindset, this is the point, the EU are in a mindset that they don't really get the difference between the Prime Minister at the time, Theresa May, signing, if you like, her wish to sign up to the withdrawal agreement and the fact it has to be ratified by a parliament in the UK. Mm. They're not used to dealing like that. No, of course that. not. Let's be honest. No. It's not the most democratic of institutions. No, over these there. are
3: the people that like electing yeah. commissioners uh, without Absolutely. anybody standing against them.
2: Absolutely. Now, because they don't understand that, mm. they have totally overlooked the fact that parliament has rejected the deal that they negotiated with Theresa May. And they really should be writing it off like we're doing. And starting again, mm. right? With with what is acceptable. That's their mindset. So you can remind them of all the articles and all the clauses in the treaty, even, even their commitment that when they signed up to Lisbon, that if you don't get a deal in two years, we you can just go. leave, yeah. Right? So their their mindset is a little bit, oh my goodness, we're having to deal with someone who knows what he wants. Mm. And my goodness, this parliament. You know, it's actually quite significant because it's rejected the deal. They haven't got their heads around that yet. No. woefully, some of them, including the CBI, I think in Germany, their equivalent in Germany, are saying, "Don't worry, everybody, because Parliament can block No Deal."
3: Right, which
2: but is that weird. may turn out not to be true. Let's talk so. to uh, to Paul, who's up in Newcastle. Paul.
1: Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Ah, very well, Mike. Thanks uh, for taking the call. Not and at all. Uh, good morning. Good morning to Nick. Good morning. Uh, maybe me missing um, some of the information that comes out, but nobody seems to have really talked about the motivation that the EU have had for providing such a ridiculously bad deal. Um, and and it's just a complete punitive deal that they're offering. And has, has anybody questioned why that that is so? uh, just to to show the rest of the EU that if you take this route, this is what's going to happen to you. But what what are your opinions on it, Nick?
2: Well, Paul, I think um, there's two things. First of all, the bit I agree with you about is that before the European elections... Many European leaders, particularly Macron, were terrified at the prospect of doing really badly in the European elections. And they felt they should make the case that if you punish Britain, make it hard for them to leave, show their own citizens the consequences, then actually... It will reduce the calls to leave the EU, and 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 the, the the so-called alt-right parties, as they describe them, would do less well. To some extent, that's worked. Even even um, Marie Le Pen of the French National Front has now stopped calls for asking for France to Frexit, if you like. But that drove that was a, that was driving their thinking pre those elections. But I think the real thing that has not been talked about enough is that Europe does not want a large economy like the UK on its doorstep that is more competitive, which is what we would be if you come out of the European Union. Bottom line is the idea of having someone at the heart of Europe, uh, their second largest um, economy in the EU – Outside of the EU and highly competitive is what they don't want, which is why Theresa May's deal, beyond the backstop, some of the things that we would have been signing up to for the future arrangements would have undermined our competitiveness. And that's something that they would have really welcomed and will always try to do to make their biggest neighbour less competitive. And, Paul, doesn't that give the lie to all of this
3: nonsense that we hear from the Remain camp, that, you know, all will be so much weaker outside of the EU? What Nick has just said there is that we are the second biggest economy in the EU at the moment. Why would we not still be the second biggest economy outside of it?
1: Well, we would be certainly the second biggest economy and probably pushing on the doors to be the first biggest economy in, in, in Europe. Um, but nobody seems to be picking up, and particularly the the Ramonans, on the fact that this deal is so ridiculously bad that why would anybody... And Well, the Parliament has rejected it three times. Mm. Um, So why... I don't understand understand the stance of Europe, why they're sort of clinging to this, saying that there will be no changing to this deal. Um, If you're going to make any deal in business, no matter how you look at it, it is a business deal, there has to be a win-win scenario. Now, all the EU have done is to bra- provide a win-lose scenario. Um, so it would never work, it would never be accepted. So I can't understand why they're sort of clinging to it. Yeah. Um, it's just just being dogmatic and uh, just hanging on to the fact that they, they'll, they'll try to make it not work so that it will be, uh, it will send signals out to the rest of Europe and the UK that this is the way you have to be yeah. uh, It's stay in the EU or nothing
3: yeah I think they're failing with that pool though as well thanks for your call we've got to run because we're running slightly late Nick I'm going to ask you just to hang around for a bit couple more calls to take quickly <laughs> Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're here until one o'clock, of course, Matthew Wright uh, taking over. Then coming up shortly, we're going to talk to Rear Admiral uh, Dr Chris Parry, uh, former Rear, Rear Admiral in charge of the fleets uh, of the Royal Navy, former NATO commander as well, uh, because we've got news that I predicted would happen, by the way, when Jeremy Hunt tried to sort of do a deal uh, with the European Union's Navy, which doesn't exist, uh, to police the Gulf uh, in uh, the Straits of Hormuz where tankers were being taken away by the Iranians and all the rest of it. We'll come to that in a second. Uh, first, though, Nick Tivoy here with us, uh, and we're going to take one more call. Susan's in Exeter. She's got a question for her. Susan, good uh, morning to you. G- is it good morning or good afternoon? It's still morning, 25 <laughs> minutes to go.
4: So, darling. Good morning, Michael. Good yes. morning, Nicholas. Good morning. Um, I'm sorry you have to put up with me. I left school early, but I do have an inquisitive mind. I just want to say to you and the country and everybody else, what... Is the advantage. Um, I'm looking through my crystal ball. There's no advantage of us coming out of the EU. We may as well stay in. It's only problems, and, there's, and if we pull out, nobody knows how it's going to run.
3: Well, that's the rubbish, actually, Susan. I'll let you answer that in a slightly more erudite way.
2: Susan, hello. I think there are advantages, but we haven't talked about them enough. So let me just run through one or two for you. First of all... When you're a member of the European Union, you cede what's called competencies to the EU, One of which means our own government can't do things because we've said, hey, you EU collectively can do them. The biggest one that people are talking about is actually trade deals. What's a trade deal? A trade deal is designed to make it easier for our companies to sell and buy off each other between different nations. The EU is historically really slow at doing deals and it also has to get agreement between all 28 members. That means you have massive compromises and you end up with a deal that actually may not be that good for Britain. We can go out, strike out on our own and negotiate deals as the fifth Uh, largest economy in the world we need to actually go out and make those deals and win those deals to make it easier for our business to continue the growth that we are seeing even now before we've left we want to take that one further.
3: Mm, I think that's absolutely right Susan we've got to run thanks for your call uh, because we've got to move on now to uh, Rear Admiral Dr Chris Parry. Dr Chris welcome back to the show we spoke a little while ago about uh, what you would do uh, to try and get the uh, tanker back from the Iranians and you had a very very brilliant uh, solution which unfortunately the Ministry of has not followed Um, but what I would also say is that after Jeremy Hunt's rather haphazard and bizarre statement in the Commons about signing up to the EU Navy uh, we seem to have gone the right way now and decided to go into bed with the Americans again.
5: Well good morning Uh, yes (laughs) um, absolutely as we discussed uh, we'd have to go to the Americans in the end because they're the ones who are actually on the ground uh, out in the Gulf I mean, it's pretty ironic, though. There's a a French frigate and a Spanish frigate in the vicinity, and they're staying decidedly over the horizon. Uh, That's where really, uh, historically, they've been, of course, whenever the Royal Navy's been around.
3: Yes, well, quite. But, I mean, it was a bizarre uh, intervention. It was sort of Jeremy Hunt's last stand, wasn't it? A bit like Custer, where he suddenly was making this... Even the European Union were taken aback by it uh, and all kind of immediately fell away and said, well, sorry, you know, I don't know what you mean. We cannot patrol that part of the world. We cannot patrol that stretch of water. You know, what's wrong with the, uh, uh, the American fleet?
5: Well, uh, to be fair, um, the Europeans could have done it. It's just that they didn't want to be compromised in relation to their uh, sign-up to the uh, JCPOA nuclear deal with uh, uh, Iran. Um, but I think there was some very muddled thinking. I think uh, one could actually support the JCPOA nuclear deal at the same time as saying, look, we're not going to put up with your gangsterism with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard in the Gulf. So you could actually separate out the two things, um, The Europeans, I'm afraid, didn't want to play. And I'm afraid it's a continuing story of European military uh, capabilities uh, that project an image of can't fight, won't fight.
3: Yeah. And Dominic Raab, as Foreign Secretary, is over in Washington today as we speak, Chris. And, I mean, you'd imagine that this will be a subject that will be spoken about. Would you expect the Americans and the British to come up with some kind of plan? Because at the moment, the Iranians still look as if they're not really scared of anyone.
5: Oh, I think they are. Um, I mean, uh, they're projecting the, you know, this idea that we're going to have the mother of all wars. Now, the last person who said we'll have the mother of all wars ended in a very sticky way. Um, and I, I think the Iranians right now are projecting weakness. Uh, the fact of life is they're not in control of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. They're under very severe sanctions from uh, the United States uh, and its allies. And they're feeling the pinch. And a lot of this is projecting a lot of their internal problems outwards so they're distracting their people if you like a classic way just like north korea did in saying look we've got this problem with the united states we've got this problem with britain therefore stay quiet um, and I think it can't go on for much longer. Uh, and um, the fact that the United States and the United, United Kingdom are being robust in saying, look, you can't close down the freedom of the seas, you can't close down international straits. And what's ironic about this, this is not an Iran against the United Kingdom and the United States issue. It's Iran against everybody. He uses the sea. That's about 168 countries. Uh, and I'm afraid our European partners just aren't recognising this. Now, what I would like to say is that the chief of Swedish defence has said that they'd like to lend a hand as well, uh, which for a neutral country is fairly gutsy. The politicians haven't come on side yet, but they're, they're sort of making all the right noises. Chris, just on a
2: slightly wider scale, is it, is it accurate to say that for us to be an effective military uh, force... Uh, in whatever type of engagement, uh, such uh, obviously including what we're seeing out in the Gulf, is it is it not the reality that we have to be uh, partners with the US simply because they've got the hardware that would allow us to be an effective partner with? And is it not true perhaps that they have a single decision making process uh, as opposed to the EU, where you'd have to get quite a lot of collective mm. agreement for action?
5: Well, how long have you got? Um, in the first place, <laughs> Not long, sadly. <laughs> um, uh, in the first place, the Royal Navy is more than capable of looking after itself. There's, n- there's no question about that. If you're thinking of taking on a country like Iran, though, you definitely need the United States. Um, I don't think uh, Iran would be phased at all by having a few European warships uh, sitting off its coast, but it's certainly phase by having the United States Navy off its coast. Um, Anybody who's seen the power of a strike carrier and its group uh, should be terrified. Um, And the Iranians are. Uh, And the fact of life is, right from the word go, the United Kingdom should have said, right, call on uh, our friends, our cousins, uh, the United States. They're there already on the ground. They have capability. Um, We're used to operating with them. Uh, And I don't know what happened in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office uh, at the end of uh, the dog days of the Theresa May administration, because uh, if anybody had come up with that plan when I was teaching at the Warfare Centre, I'd have sacked them.
3: Yeah, well, quite right. Luckily, the man that did come up with that plan did indeed get sacked. So uh, you're obviously on the same page as Boris Johnson. Rear Admiral Sir Chris Parry, thank you very much indeed. Nick Dubois, thank you very much indeed. This man talks so much sense. I mean, last time he was on, I said to him, what would you do to get this carrier, uh, this tanker freed from uh, the, the, the hostage taking that the Iranians have done? He said, well, we've got one of their tankers, all right? He said, our tanker hasn't got any oil on it but it has got 23 people on it who we would like to safeguard. Their tanker that we've got in Gibraltar has got about $9 million worth of oil on it. I'd take the oil, I'd sell it. Uh, and I'd say to the Iranians, you can have that money, and you can have your tanker back as soon as you release ours and give us back the people.
2: Wonderful clarity of thinking you know? from our military guys. And
3: he said, and I said, that's a great. And he said, that's why I'm not a diplomat. <laughs> and I went, well, you know, these are the guys who are making all the sense.
2: Well, and, they're, you know, they're looking for a new governor of Gibraltar. Perhaps he ought to apply. Well,
3: do you know what? That's not such a bad idea. Nick, lovely to see you again. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking again before uh, the end of the summer yeah, recess. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham coming up at one o'clock after the news. It's Matthew Wright, of course. We've just got a little bit of time left. We'll try and squeeze a couple of calls in for you as well. Uh, But this, of course, uh, is about music because this is music uh, festival season. Boardmasters 2019 uh, was supposed to feature Foles, he was just listening to there, as well as um, Florence and the Machine and a whole bunch of other bands as well. It was going to be a great festival down in Newquay, one of the greatest and most beautiful parts of Britain. Uh, Very hard to get to, of course, but it's been cancelled, right, due to uh, high wind. Now, I was under the impression that the high winds that cancelled it uh, were just those kind of high winds that they get uh, when very very nervous health and safety people come along and actually say oh well, maybe you better evacuate your home because this reservoir might burst. And guess what? The reservoir still hasn't burst and there's still people in those homes who didn't leave and who are saying well, we've been proved right. Now, it turns out that there has actually been an accident involving a couple of uh, uh, members of the Coast Guard uh, and an ambulance as well, just off the site where Boardmasters was due to go on. The problem is they only cancelled it basically in the last 24 hours, when a lot of people were already on their way down. There are a lot of people who were preparing to sell things at the festival. Vendors have already got there and have already set up. Now you might say that it's a risk too far because the winds are going to continue and it might be dangerous. But on the other hand, um, a lot of people have been put out. And we're going to speak to somebody now uh, who's a, a ticket holder for Boardmaster. Brad Davis is his name from Durham. He and a bunch of his mates were going to go down for the weekend, and it was all going to kick off presumably tomorrow brad uh good afternoon to you welcome afternoon mate you all right thanks yeah very well indeed thanks very much for joining us now presumably oh, you fine. were you were heading off with your mates to set to, to get down there for what tomorrow
6: yeah yeah so we set off about 10 thinking we'd be nice and early and that and then uh we just saw on social media when we were halfway down we were down there like nottingham and um, and we just heard on there and we pulled over and just couldn't believe it to be honest
3: that's shocking isn't it because i mean have you seen have you seen florence and the machine before
6: uh, no, well, I, I was, we haven't seen any of them. Lewis Capaldi, Bugs and Malone, the falls, none of them. So we were dead excited, to be honest.
3: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a great uh, a great festival. And it seems, I mean, you know, some, you know, things can happen. Bad things can happen. But I don't know exactly how bad the winds are. Um, but it's pretty late. It's pretty short notice, isn't it?
6: Yeah. Well, when we were looking on the weather app, obviously we were worried about the rain, not the wind. And we were looking and it says it's raining and then through the day it's just sunny. Uh, and it still says it's sunny now. And where we are, because obviously we haven't gone home because we were halfway down. We've, we've stopped off in the peaks. Pete District in Sheffield. Right, we're just going to do camping till Friday. How uh, many? How
3: many of you are there, Brad? Uh,
6: there's ten of us.
3: Ten, and you have? Uh, are you are you all in one big bus, or are you travelling in different vehicles?
6: Uh, no, we've all gone down in cars.
3: All oh, right. So, so you have so, to then coordinate. To so, how how are you going? To, where are you going to go in Sheffield to camp?
6: Uh, well, we're actually putting up the tent in gazebo, like as we speak. No, um, we're just in what, what's it called? Pete District. Uh, we're just in the Peak District. Uh, just just off Sheffield. Okay. so we, we slept in our cars last night, which was a bit of a nightmare. Right. Because um, we, we were literally like three o'clock in the morning. We just didn't know what to do, so we just slept in our cars. Didn't get any sleep and that, and then just cracked on with it today. And we're just going to stay till Friday, Saturday, right. and just have a have a good time because we spent a fortune on like food and tents and yeah. we spent, like two hundred pound on like drinking that. So Blimey.
3: And I mean, to how, the place you're going to you put the tents up in. How do you know you're allowed to, to camp there?
6: Oh, we've had to pay another hundred pound for the for the site. Jeez. That's terrible. What about the
3: tickets? Are you going to get them refunded?
6: Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. Well, they said, didn't they, on the, not- on the notification saying, like, refunds will be advised and stuff yeah. like that, but we'll just have to wait and see, so I'm not sure.
3: Yeah. Goodness <laughs> me. It'd be yeah. nice if you could get some kind of band to come and play for you, you know, like... Uh, sort of uh, a yeah, and-
6: we, we were going to call out Louis Capaldi and try and get him down.
3: <laughs> 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 well, you should start tweeting them and say, look, if you're up in this part of the world, you know, there's ten of us in a field, come and see if you can play for us or something.
6: Yeah, yeah, we'll just get... just. Get everyone that was, that was going in well, oh my bar masters just to come down here and have a good crowd. Yeah,
3: well I'll tell you what we'll do Brad because I don't know where, how much power we've got here at already, but if you put a tweet out to anyone either whether it's Florence and the Machine uh, whether it's uh, Lewis Capaldi just tweet them, we'll retweet it for you and see if we can get something going. All right, yeah,
6: yeah, it
3: sounds good, it? it sounds good. Top man. All right, Brad, well, listen, uh, sorry about the weekend being ruined, but maybe on the bright side, you're not going to get hit by a flying flag or something, which is going to be flying about down in, uh, down in Cornwall. Brad Davis there, what a, what a shame, 10 people, right, in several cars, driving down to Cornwall from Durham, which is no mean feat. Uh, having to stop halfway, not even halfway. Uh, they're now having to spend the weekend in Sheffield in the Peak District, which is a rather nice part of the world, by the way, uh, just so they can use up all the food and drink they've bought for a big weekend to see Florence and the Machine and Foles and Lewis Capaldi. Can somebody not go and play music for them, even if it's a tribute band to Foles? Is there one? Let's see. Uh, give us a call if you know, Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. James is in London, wants to talk about Brexit. Hello, James. Hiya, Mike. How are you doing?
4: Not too bad, Mike. Good man. Uh, um... Uh, Mike, I'm Welsh, so I'm basically London Welsh. So uh, basically... Uh, did you vote Mike,
3: to... Well, the whole of Wales voted to leave, right?
4: Yes, Mike, we did. And no matter what the Senate or Labour or Plaid Cymru say, we voted to leave. We voted to leave by 54 to 46. We right. voted to leave. Yeah, and the Labour Party knows that. That's why we're kicking them out in South Wales. But on my main part is that these Ramonian MPs, the one who says that we did not know what we voted for, can I just reverse it onto them? UMPs MPs did not know what you voted for because you voted to trigger Article 50. Thus, you created the impasse we have with the no deal. Did you not?
3: Yes, that's exactly right. The reason we can't make Brexit happen thus far is because of them, not because of anybody it, else.
4: Exactly, Mike. And they say we did not know what we voted for. Yes, we did. Yeah. Unfortunately, the clear simple question we give to you, you find it hard to enact because you know vegetables and morons.
3: (laughs) Well, I think some of them might defend themselves from that particular accusation, but you're absolutely right. And I don't see why we should even worry about what they think uh, of the next plan, because they've already kiboshed the last plan three times, not because they didn't like the plan, but because they don't want to leave the European Union.
4: Yes, and unfortunately, mate, come 31st of October, we will leave, because all your options are now destroyed because you destroyed it. Yes. And if you want to bring the government down... Bring it down because turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Exactly. UK won't vote for you. At the end of the day, we will leave on the 31st of October, whether they like it or not, Mike.
3: Yes, and I think I'm looking forward to it. And as I was saying yesterday, and I think, funnily enough, I mentioned this to Nick Dubois. Uh, he's going to mention it in uh, the sort of uh, c- corridors of power. We think that on November the 1st, which happens to fall on a Friday, we should have a bank holiday. Call it Independence Day if you want. Call it anything you like. But basically call it Boris Day. You know, but when we leave on the 31st, Thursday night, right, I wonder whether we'll be broadcasting here uh, at Talk Radio. Maybe everybody can be on the same uh, programme. We can have Matthew Wright. We can have Ian Lee. We can have me. We can have John Nicholson. We can have Julia Hartley Brewer. And we can have a whole massive, like, all-night party on Talk Radio. It'll be fantastic. Might end up with a punch-up. You never know. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. Uh, John Nicholson's on later on at four o'clock, of course, in uh, for Eamon Holmes. How about this from uh, Tom, uh, who I think has got his tongue placed firmly in his cheek. Those lads who've avoided the uh, music festival are now in the Peak District. Better make sure that dam doesn't burst on them. Now, obviously, that's not funny. If it did happen, it would be terrible. But it doesn't look as if it's going to happen uh, because it looks as though the water levels have now receded to the point where people could go back to their homes. And all those people who were told, you better get out, you better run, you better get the hell away from this water, uh, don't look like they needed to go in the first place, does it?